HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. All right. Jake Hendrickson, welcome to the podcast, man. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about this because this is, I think when, well, first, I mean, I, we, we knew of each other. Uh, we'd exchanged right. some messages on, on social media and whatnot in the past. Um, but then, who was it? Josh Raley, who's part of the Sportsman's Empire and everything. He was like, hey, if you're looking for a good guest, like Jake Hendricks, Jake Hendricks, excuse me is a good guy to get on. And I was like, I know that name from somewhere. Yeah. Right. And then I just, it didn't take me long to kind of put the pieces together. And I was like, Oh yeah, no, for sure. Like he'll be a good one to get on, especially this time of year. So no, man, I'm excited to excited to chat kind of off season scouting, postseason scouting, start talking about habitat projects and, and all that good stuff and what it is that you do. So no, man, I'm fired up for this conversation. Yep. It is the season right now. Yeah. So <clears throat> Jake, give us a little bit of background about what it is that you do, man. All right. Uh, again, yeah, my name is Jake Hendrickson. I'm a habitat consultant here in Michigan. I work for Whitetail Partners. I'm the regional consultant for them for the state of Michigan. I we Whitetail Partners has been around uh, for several years, maybe three or four years. And it was really only it was ran by a, a guy named Sam Billhorn out of Wisconsin. And this past uh, season, he kind of put together a team of consultants around the country to kind of. I guess bring the same product. He very similar minds he brought together to kind of bring the same product to a lot of different landowners. And he asked me if I wanted to to join the Whitetail Partners. Uh, I of course said yes. It's a huge huge honor, and I'm, exa- I'm excited to to be a part of it. Uh, prior to Whitetail Partners, I consulted on my own for right around the same time. I think I started around 2018, and then uh, just started trying to develop a social media presence after that, try to get the name out there a little more, showcase kind of what we do on our properties to try to increase the success of, uh, you know, increase your hunting success, try to create predictability on your property uh, with low impact hunting. So hopefully you can hunt less, but, you know, hopefully have success more often than not. Um, I started doing habitat improvements on my property probably around, tail end of 2009 so 2009 was when we were first introduced to a lot of this and then 2010 we kind of hit the ground running just try our best to really improve our property with trying to manipulate the deer movement on the property so i guess yeah what we try to do is take a property where there might be random movement so there's going to be deer on your property no matter what most of the time but a lot of times that movement's random. So you might have an, an ag field where you're on your neighbor's property. Maybe you're lucky where you have kind of a swamp on your property where you know these deer might be bedded or a, you know, just a really thick area. And then the deer movement might be random everywhere else. So, or, or maybe you just have a square 40-acre woodlot that's just open timber. Then the movement's probably going to be random throughout the entire thing. So what we like to try to do is really encourage certain deer behaviors in certain areas of the property to just increase the probability that they're going to be at certain areas at certain times of the day. Because deer are, they're, they're pretty, uh, they stick to their patterns pretty regularly. Habit, so yeah. you really have a, 
a strong feeding pattern in the afternoon. They really like to get to those open fields, those open food sources towards the afternoon. And during the day, they're a prey species, so they really want to shift back towards that cover. And so if, if you can kind of manipulate your property to have certain types of habitat in certain areas, you can really increase the predictability. You can have a really good idea as to where these deer are going to be bedded in the morning. So you can kind of get an idea, okay, these are my morning stand locations. And then on the flip side, you can kind of get a great idea as to where these deer are going to be feeding once you start putting in these food sources. So then it tells you, okay, this is kind of where I'm going to be hunting in the afternoon. And then it, that also decreases your chances of spooking deer on your property because there's a higher probability that they're going to be in these other areas and you can get around those areas and, and, and not have to, I guess, put unwanted pressure on your property. Because here in Michigan, I'm sure that you deal with this a lot too. Like really once the hunting pressure increases, and especially if your property isn't set up the right way or, or maybe not to the its maximum potential, you, you can see your hunting really fall off a cliff once the season starts. And like most people refer that to the October lull. And then they kind of are banking on just seeing a random buck during the rut. But a lot of times if, if you're able to set your property up in a way that you can have per, that predictable movement with low impact stand locations, you know, your hunting throughout the entire season should only get better. You know, either, yeah. you might see a little bit of a drop, especially maybe after opening day of firearm season. But up until then, you should have daylight buck movement from those older bucks, which is, which is what a lot of guys want to see. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I guess I mean a ton of questions, which we'll get to. First one was, how did you kind of find yourself getting into you know habitat improvement and things like that? Was it? Do you have like a? I mean, like, what is your background, or how did you kind of? Was it just one day, like you know, where you were doing some some habitat improvements on your own property? You started to really take a dive, deep dive into it, and just got a real good understanding and just over the course of time, like started to find success in the things that you were doing and said, Hey, you know, I, I would imagine that a lot of other people's properties are set up, you know, maybe the same way yours are, or have similar characteristics. I think that, you know, I can, you know, kind of help glean some of this wisdom that you've, you know, gathered throughout the course of time and, and doing improvements on your own land and said, Hey, you know, I think, you know, we can, you know, help a lot of other people out. Like how, how did you kind of find yourself into the habitat game? Yes. So, like I said, back in 2009, that's kind of when it all started. Prior to that, I would say we were very, very, like, we were the typical Michigan hunters. You know, if you, we saw a deer with antlers, doesn't matter what it was, we were taking a shot, you know. <laughs> there you Didn't, go. Maybe not a spike, <laughs> but if it had, if it was a four-point or a six-point or a little basket rack eight, you know, that deer was going down. And yeah. we, we never really even thought twice about, you know, we're going to be able to shoot this older deer on our property because we had never even seen them. Well, maybe once in a while you'd see one, but we kind of just chalked that up to luck. Like that deer just happened to be there. We didn't really think that there was, you know, any, any, the guys that were having success consistent, I guess we didn't really know anyone that was having a lot of consistent success. So I would say but prior to, you know, 2010, it was kind of, you don't know what you don't know. But then that season, one of my dad's buddies, invited us to a quality deer management banquet and we decided hey like let's go like it's not gonna hurt anything it's deer hunting we like deer hunting we, we went to this banquet and all the guys that were at that banquet were talking about habitat improvements putting in food plots cutting bedding areas you know putting in mock scrapes and we had just we had never heard of any of this and 
it just kind of like really opened our eyes to what was possible on the property. And it was kind of like, well, why didn't we think of this? Like, why are we shooting these younger bucks? <laughs> of course, we're not going to see any older bucks if we're, gonna, we're shooting them all when they're young. And, you know, why are we hunting our property this way? You know, so, so the stuff that we do or that, you know, that I recommend when I go to a different property or doing my property, I, I didn't invent any of this stuff or I didn't, uh, you know, I, I kind of just learn from others, whether it's guys in my uh, QDMA group or, or um, I, right after that, I really took a deep dive into the hunting forum. So back, that was, this is before YouTube, this is before like Facebook hunting groups. So back then it was the Michigan Sportsman Forum. And so you could spend a lot of time on the Michigan Sportsman Forum just reading all these different strategies that all these guys, and it was, some of these guys weren't in Michigan. Some of them were out in other states as well because they, they hunted out of state. But uh, a lot of them were Michigan landowners that were using habitat improvements to in, improve their property. So we kind of just started on our, our, our properties, putting in food plots, trying to cut bedding areas. And we made a lot of mistakes along the way. So we just tried to, at the end of each season, try to figure out what was working, what wasn't working, maybe figure out, you know, why behind it. And then I guess, yeah, there's also a couple guys that I would say were, even though I've never met them, had a huge impact on me as a habitat manager and trying to improve my property. And those the three guys uh, in particular, one is Jake Elinger. So, and he's out of Michigan. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him. He, he, uh, he has a, he's a wealth of knowledge and just so incredibly thankful for him for sharing everything that he has. I, really uh, him. And then those two guys are very similar. Jim Brocker, Dr. Jim Brocker, and then a guy named Jim Ward. So those three guys, I think really helped shape, who I am. And I think a lot of what I do, I kind of build off of what those guys did. It's probably very similar to what they do. And even though I've never met them, they had such a huge impact on how I see the property and, and kind of the, the different techniques that I use. So I, I do it. Maybe it's because the properties are so similar that those are the ones that those are the techniques and the improvements that I, I prefer to use. But to me, like, when you're trying to improve a property, there's a lot of different ways and different or a lot of different techniques that you can use. You got to try to find a strategy that makes sense to you. Just because if it doesn't make sense to you and you're trying to go out there and put in these improvements, you're kind of going to be lost. So just for example, there's different ways to set a property up. You can set a property up, which I prefer to do, where the deer are more on the inside and then they work their way more to the outside. So you're going to be hunting along the perimeter so you can kind of leave the, the core of the property alone, leave your network of improvements alone and pressure-free, more of a sanctuary. That's called yeah. more of an inside-out property. But there's other guys that really like to set their property up more of an outside-in property. So where they have maybe food t located towards the center, bedding opportunities towards the outside, these deer kind of move to the inside. And so the, the idea there is those deer are going to move to the property, and once they're on the property, they're going to stay there. And so the the neighbors won't have as much of an opportunity. So there's different ways of uh, setting a property up. I tend to lean towards more that inside out uh, type of property when possible. That just makes the most sense to me. So again, you, you want to try to find, you want to take as much information in as you can to get a lot of different opinions, but then try to really go with one that makes the most sense to you. So yeah. Yeah. And that, that makes total sense because like you said, especially in Michigan here, 
the the topography is is pretty similar throughout. I mean, obviously there's, you know, pockets of, you know, real rolling hills or a lot of ag or, you know, swamp area, whatever the case is. Yep. But <clears throat> is there, I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. Is there kind of one, so a uh, client asked you to come up, take a look at the property, assess it, you know, put a game plan together and everything. Is there maybe like a common theme or a common thread or something that you see almost regularly that maybe landowners are doing? I I don't want to say like incorrectly and make it sound like they're, they're doing something wrong, but they're, they're making mistakes that are, you know, really preventing them from, from, you know, having these good encounters, having a lot more activity, especially as the year rolls on that you can almost kind of point to right off the bat and say, this is something that we need to to change because I think it's going to optimize, you know, the activity and, and the, you know, the encounters that you have. Absolutely. So I guess I'll, I'll give you three of them that are, you said are the most common. The yeah. first is access. So a lot of people that, that hire you and they have you come out to their property, you know, that they're not familiar with a lot of this stuff. So they're, they're just, they're, they're like, I would say I was, you know, before I started any of this, this is the typical Michigan hunter that, uh, you know, will shoot, you know, the first antler deer they see. But a lot of these guys, they, they will access right down the middle of their property. So that's, that's where they probably had, or maybe they did, or the previous landowner had it logged, you know, 20 years ago, that's where the logging road was put in just because it was the easiest way to go. And they can get to a lot of different parts in the property. And so they just access right down the center of the property to and from the stand locations every day throughout the season or whenever they're hunting. And so that would be something that on most properties you want to try to avoid because when you do that, you're kicking all the deer off your property and you're leaving a huge scent signature right down the center of your property. So even when you leave, those deer are going to be cutting your tracks and they're going to know something's different. You've left this property alone, you know, for nine months out of the year. And all of a sudden now there's human scent right down the middle you know, from four different guys. Uh, so that would be the, the first one that I see that could be addressed on, on a lot of different properties is access. Guys are not accessing the property the way that I would prefer to access it. The second is a lot of guys don't pay attention to the wind. So if, if you talk to them about hunting a certain stand location and, okay, this is your favorite stand. Okay. This is a great stand. I can see why you like it here. You know, when are you normally hunting it? Why well, normally hunt this one on Halloween? Okay, well, no matter what, you hunt someone on Halloween because, like, you should probably think, what if, what if you have this? Maybe that's good for this wind scenario, but what about this wind scenario? Maybe you should have a backup plan in case the wind is different. So that's something that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to is the wind direction. And so when we put a plan together for someone, we try to map out, you know, this is a morning stand for a west wind. This is a morning stand for an east wind. You know, so we, we kind of spell it out for them and they can use our recommendation or not, but we just make sure that we tell them, you know, how we would prefer to hunt the property from, from the, a wind perspective. And the third thing that a lot of guys are doing, and this kind of comes down to personality and I kind of, if you just got to hunt with a strategy that makes sense to you. And for me, I'm more of a conservative guy, but a lot of Michigan hunters, they will go to their favorite stand right away so if they have a stand that they love hunting during the rut they love hunting during the pre-rut that's where they see all the bucks they go there opening day october 1st or whenever that maybe that first friday evening after work of the hunting season they go to that stand 
and they don't see anything. And then the property shuts down for a few weeks. And it's, it's because they're hunting a location. They're hunting too deep into the cover when they shouldn't be. And it's not that you can't kill a deer in that spot on the first day of the season, but your chances are, are very low. So you, you got to try to play the percentages and, and wait for a better day, wait for a better time of the year before you're pushing into certain stand locations. So I would say that those are the three things that a lot of guys do that they could improve on right away and they could make a huge difference on their season and their hunting property because their neighbors probably aren't doing those things and their neighbors are pressuring their property and those deer feel that pressure and then they're going to shift their patterns and they're going to go somewhere where they don't have to deal with that. So if, if, a, if someone can access their property, you know, maybe think about that a little bit more. How can I get to and from my stands without being seen? Also, keep wind into in the consideration to make sure they're blowing their scent away from where these deer are going to be moving. And then also make sure you're waiting to hunt those better stands. There's, there's certain types of stands, like there's different types of stands for a morning hunt. There's different types of stands for an evening hunt. And so you want to try to make sure you're hunting the correct stands for the, for the right time of day. Yeah, no, those are, those are three really good ones. Um, the, the second one there, the wind, that's a, that, that's a surprising one for me, but at the same time, like it isn't because if you have a piece of property that's been in your family for a long time, or you've only ever hunted a certain way for a long time, like it's one of those things that you know, maybe you don't really think about, you just know, like, you know, maybe the year before, yeah, gosh, they killed a great buck the year before. So the first sign of cold spell, the first, you know, you start to get later in the season, that pre-rut, the rut, whatever. And they're like, I'm going back to that spot irregardless because they killed a great buck there last year. I mean, hell, I know I've fallen into that trap, you know, before. And I'm usually, I'm always taking wind into consideration. I mean, that's one of the biggest things on, on our property. Uh, my brother-in-law, you know, do all of the work on it. And we have, you know, literally just like a, you know, in the the notes app on our iPhone, like, okay, if it's this wind, these are the stands we can hunt. If it's this wind, these are the stands we can hunt. Because we have, uh, gosh, 140, 150 acres, something like that, that my in-laws own. So we've got just a, a, a plethora of stands, you know, throughout. And we got to keep track of them because I'll forget, like, you know, we have some stands where, or, you know, depending on the wind, I mean, we could have, you know, the choice of four or five different stands or, you know, if, if it's the wind is one way, we've got like two stands and then it becomes, or one stand just because of, you know, where, where we're at on the property and, you know, all those things taken into consideration. It's like, well, someone's going to have to sit somewhere they probably don't want to sit or where the wind's going to be a little bit dicey for us, where it's like, you might be able to get away with it, but if that wind shifts even the least bit, like you're probably, it's probably going to be a wasted sit. And the, the, the morning and afternoon, I, I think those are, are, that's a really great approach. Like you, you talked about, like one of the approaches that we take on our property and it kind of goes in line with what you were saying is early in the season. Yeah. We won't push into some of those, you know, what we consider, you know, pre-rut, rut stands because we know that deer probably, or, you know, mature deer probably aren't, you know, circulating in that area yet. They're not, they're kind of home range. They're not out searching yet. Like that hasn't really expanded. And especially, you know, that first weekend of the year that you talked about, like there's a, in my experience, there's a pretty high probability that those deer are probably still in, in summer patterns to some degree, right? Like they're still, 
coming out early. I mean, October 2nd this year, I had a bachelor group of bucks come out at, shoot, 5.30, something like that on on this, um, you know, food plot that we were, that I was sitting on. And yeah, two weeks later, I mean, you, you're not going to see three, two and a half to three and a half year old bucks together. I mean, that's just, it, <laughs> it's not the case. So yeah, I think being mindful of that and not, yeah, blowing out your property day two, day three of the season like that. I mean, cause yeah, you're going to put yourself in a hole for the next, you know, six weeks and that's, that's not where you want to be. Right. Yeah. Cause if you hunt the wrong stand at the wrong time and let's say if you, if you happen to get the deer, great, it was worth it. But it, more likely than not, you're, you're probably not going to, and they're going to be leaving all that scent behind. You're going to have tipped your hand and you might, that might be the difference between that deer getting up at his regular time on a good day to hunt and him just kind of, you know what, I kind of don't like what's going on here. I'm going to sit down for 30 extra minutes and yeah. you know, there you go. That was your chance. So you want to try to put all the eggs in the basket. At least I like to try to anyways on those higher probability days. Yeah. And that's one of the traps that I tend to fall into is our property is, you know, from, you know, door to door, driveway to driveway. It's like two hours and 25 minutes. You know, now if I'm going to spend a weekend hunting, you know, we have, you know, a cabin, you know, within, you know, 30 minutes of our property. So it's, it, it's much different, but you know, if, if it's a Saturday or a Sunday or something, I'm like, man, the weather looks right. The wind is right for, you know, a specific stand, especially late in the year. You know, you're looking at, you know, a pretty good uh, chunk of time. So sometimes I'll get, you know, almost fixated, I guess, on on a particular on a particular place. And I will sometimes ignore I'll, I'll make rookie mistakes, even though I know I'm making them in the moment. I just it's hard for me to to not want to sit certain places certain times of the year now if if the wind's wrong i'm not going to sit there i mean that's that's kind of my biggest thing like if my wind's going to be blown into bedding or it's going to be blowing into you know a food plot or you know, whatever the case is like there's yeah i i won't do that but yeah there it's i don't know it, it's it's a constant chess match right and i think sometimes you have to you have to sacrifice a pawn. Sometimes your 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 options are going to be limited based on the wind, based on where you're going to have you know options to sit, and you're going to go. Okay, the smart move is to sit in this stand because my wind is going to blow into an area where it's okay to blow, and but I I might not see many deer, right? And sometimes if you want to be out in the woods, you just gotta you gotta take your lumps, right? Yeah, and I. We all have those stands that that we want to be in. Like I, I when when you were talking, it's like I was thinking the same thing. Like already next year, I've got a couple stands that I can't wait to sit. You know, but but I, I need to make sure that I'm waiting to go there. You know, October eighteen to October twenty four, somewhere in that time frame, just because there's just a much higher probability that those older deer that we're targeting are going to be using those areas, working those scrapes during that time of the year. Now. He might be working that scrape on October 8th or October 6th, you know, when you go back and review trail camera photos. But if you say, okay, he did that last year, I'm going to go in and, and try to shoot him again this following year or maybe a different buck if that one had already gotten killed. You know, that's still 
lower probability. And so you, you don't, you just don't want to go in and push in too hard. Cause you're, you're trying to be a little bit more aggressive. Again, that's just because I'm conservative. Yeah. When you have a much higher probability set, maybe the following weekend. And you, you still have some of those good stand locations. Like some of those stand locations that are along the edge of your property can be great stand locations. Uh, some of my favorite ones are when you just have that pinch point or, or that funnel of cover that's coming off the neighbor's property. And you, the deer run that like crazy. You know, like they're coming from the neighbors to you or maybe to you from the neighbors. And you can sit 25 yards off the road, sit on this heavy trail right right off the neighbor's property and you might, you might catch a buck going there. You know, it's a, it's still a low probability sit, but at least you're not impacting your property. You're not putting unwanted pressure where you're going to be hunting in two weeks. So you just got to be thinking ahead a little bit. But then once the rut starts, then I I believe really time in the stand, that's where you can be a little bit more aggressive. You still want to be mindful of the wind, but those are going to be like your all-day sits if you can do it. Just get out there as much as you can because those bucks are going to be moving a lot. And so if you yeah. wanted to be aggressive and if you wanted to put time in the woods, that this is where during the rut, that's when you want to start doing that. Yeah. So we're into that time of year where a lot of, you know, property owners, they start to, you know, kind of evaluate the season the do's and don'ts, you know, mistakes and trying to figure out, okay, what could I have done different? What could I have done better? And, you know, I think one of the the hard things for people to wrap their head around when it comes to habitat improvement is, you know, like, especially if they, they sit down with someone like yourself, you know, you walk the property, you, you make the recommendations, you know, you give them stand recommendations, all this good stuff. And they want to do it now. They want to see all this, you know, they want to put in the work and God bless them if they do, but they want to see those results that next fall. And a lot of times that's not going to be the case. At this point in the year, you go out and you look at someone's property. What what signs are you looking for to really try to to better that thing kind of as quickly as possible knowing that yes, some improvements like you're playing the long game, right? You're 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 putting a plan in place that's going to you're going to benefit from 2, 3, 4 years down the road whether it's creating bedding, whether it's creating a new food plot where there wasn't anything prior so you got to build that soil up, you got to do all these things, cover, you know, or screen, you know, whatever the I mean, the list goes on and on, right? What are some of the the things that you're looking for right now as you're out walking property to to really help better people's chances the following year? So we kind of touched on a couple of them early, right? One of the first things that I'm looking at from just to improve their property right away is, you know, how are you getting around your property? You know, because are, are you accessing your property the correct way or are you walking right down the middle and blowing all your deer out? So access is close to the top. Another thing that you want to make sure that you're doing is you're you're trying to figure out what is this property lacking or what is the area lacking that this property can provide. So there's a couple different scenarios with that. Like maybe you're in an area with heavy agriculture. There's nothing but crop fields around your property. You might be one of the only sections of cover in the neighborhood. Well, this is a property where food is still important. You still want to have food plots on your property so you can have that consistent movement and pull deer from one side to the other but the focus really should be on increasing the cover because the deer in the area don't really have a lot of cover so over the next couple years the biggest impact you can have is by providing cover for those deer on the flip side you know maybe you have an area that's 
nothing but cover in you know around around the property. It's either swamp or open hardwoods. You know, there's just not a lot of food. You know, so this is an area where you would say we want to make sure that we're providing a lot of food on the property. You know, along with access and things like that. But one of the biggest improvements you can make is creating food plots on the property because that's what the deer need, and, and you can really influence and, and pull a lot of deer to your property if you start creating food plots. But yet, like you said, a lot of this stuff is not going to happen, or, or you can have an impact in one year, but the, the improvements that you put in are going to take a few years to really take shape. So, I mean, you can, like, if you want to create a brand new food plot from, from uh, woodlot, you have to log those trees out or cut them down yourself, you know, get the, get the logs out of there, start preparing the soil. Maybe you're going to get the stumps out and then you still have to plant and you have to think about a screen for the uh, food plot edges. So it might take a couple years before that single food plot is exactly how you want it. And very similar with a bedding area. Let's say you're a cover or an area that needs a lot of cover and you're going to cut down a bunch of trees to provide that cover. Well, you can cut those trees down and start to start to get that sunlight to the forest floor, which is the most important thing. But it's going to take a few years for that new growth to really to really get established. You're going to get some that first year, but year two and year three, that's when you're going to see like the biggest impact as far as like how much growth you have, and then deer are really going to start using those areas. But yeah, sometimes you you do have to talk to people about that just so they can set realistic expectations for their habitat so obviously you want to have realistic expectations for your hunting like what are you trying to target but then also you want to make sure you have realistic expectations for your habitat as well so like if you're planting a conifer screen you know that's not going to be 15 feet tall the first year it's going to take a (laughs) few years for that conifer screen to fill in you know so you kind of got to visualize it and picture what it's going to look like and and just you know have faith in the plan and, and just and just enjoy the process. You know, take as many pictures as you can. Get you can look back at what it used to look like. You know, it's a really fun process, but it, it is a process, and, and it does take some time to to take your property from uh, you know from ground zero to a, a really uh, highly preferred whitetail property. Yeah. Do you recommend a lot? Like we have on our property an area that. You, you refer to it or like it, it, we call we kind of consider like a sanctuary on the property yep. where the the previous landowners told us they're like hey this is a part of the property we don't go into um you know a lot of doe especially bed in this area um it's pretty thick there's you know uh like a swamp on one edge um that kind of runs along the whole thing so it's it's very secluded it's very protected in there is that one of the things? Do you recommend that to a lot of your your clients? If it's if it's possible to say, hey, like this section of the property, like let's stay out of this. Like maybe you just use it for access before, or maybe they actually hunted it before. But you walk it, you're like, you know, you see a lot of a lot of bedding sign. You just see a lot of deer sign. You're like, you know what? It might be in your best interest to to stay out of this area. Let's figure out how to not disrupt this, whether it's your access or whether it's hanging stands. Is that kind of one of the the big things you look at, or is it only if it's kind of applicable for it? Absolutely, and I, and I would even take it a step further and say, I when we're setting up a property, we try to maximize how much of the property we do not go into during the hunting season. So if possible, like I said before, there's a different, there's a few different types of 
general property setups, the, the outside in versus the inside out. With that inside out property layout and you in hunting from the perimeters of the property, you you can really leave a, a whole lot, a good chunk of the property untouched throughout the season. The only time hopefully that you're going to be going into certain parts of the property would be if you're going in to recover a deer. So yeah. I, I try to tell people that the entire property should be treated as, as a sanctuary. So yeah, of course that bedding area should be treated as a sanctuary, but so should those trails that those deer are taking. So should the food plots. Like you shouldn't be walking like every once in a while you might need to access out of a food plot in the morning or maybe through a bedding area. It, during, depending on, on, on how you're accessing the property and how the, how it's laid out. Sometimes you do have to do that. But when possible, you want to really stay away from all of it to, to reduce the impact that you're going to have on the property. Because no matter how good of our scent control is, we're always going to be leaving scent behind. And so you just want to make sure that these deer are, you know, they have, they have no idea that you're there. Because that, that's the easiest deer to kill is the one that does not know that he's being hunted. So yeah. I would say that you, you want to try to make sure that the entire property is left alone. And you're going to you're gonna have spots where you get close to it. You get close to those food plots. You get close to those deer trails. But you're never pushing on, you're never pushing on the other side of it. You're, you're 25 yards from that deer trail, and, and you're blowing your scent away to the property line. And, and so basically the, the only part of the property that's pressured is the perimeter, if, it, if you're able to set it up. That way, in a, in a lot of properties, you're able to do that. Yeah. Do you ever get scenarios where you know you're you're sitting down with the client and you know you've maybe you've walked the property or you know you just get out of the truck, right? And and you know prior to you've done your homework, so you have you know whether you've used Onyx or Go Hunt or you know some type of mapping system to you know look at the the general outline of the property, right? You know what the boundaries are and things like that, and and you've you know you have somewhat of an idea what you're going to be walking into when you get there, right? To be prepared. And you, so, you know, maybe one of the first questions is, you know, like, you know, tell me about, you know, how you hunt this or, you know, tell me about the way you guys have been utilizing it. Do you get a lot of, well, I sit, you know, you know, maybe, maybe I'm the client, right? And I'm telling you, you know, Jake, uh, you know, on this particular food plot that we already have here, like this is where we have stand locations, <clears throat> excuse me. I hunt them with these winds and, you know, I see, I see a lot of deer, but I never see mature deer. What is, you know, I, there's probably a lot of areas, but what is kind of your initial response to that? If, if I, if I tell you that, right, like, you know, Jake, this is, this is a stand I, you know, sit in for this wind, this part of the year, or maybe later in the year, if it's, you know, late season, and it's a food source or something like that. But, you know, I see a ton of dough, a ton of young bucks. I never see anything mature out here. Why is that? Like you said, there could be so many different factors as to why that is. It could be the location. It could be that you're hunting more of a destination food source, and those does are getting there very early, and those young bucks are, they don't know any better. They're getting there early, and those older bucks are kind of hanging back maybe at those staging food plots or maybe an apple tree in the woods, or they're in that transition zone, that staging area. And so you should be hunting further back into the timber, into the cover, as opposed to maybe that destination food source. Maybe you're blowing your wind right at where that deer is coming from. Again, depending on the scenario, and we would need to try to find a different tree. Um, you know, it, 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 it could also be that 
depending on what they're harvesting, you know, maybe if like they're harvesting younger deer a lot, they might not have as many older bucks. So depending, maybe they're not even seeing them on camera. You know, yeah. the, the first step would be let, let, lay off the lay off the younger deer. Um, <laughs> we had there, there's a lot of different scenarios too. Like another one would be maybe you you are at a smaller food plot, so it's a it's a, a better food plot for a mature deer to feel comfortable with. But let's say that you it's next to the food plot, it's wide open uh, woods, so you don't really have a whole lot of bedding opportunities close to those food sources. And so what that means is a lot of times those does have to go further to find bedding opportunities. And a lot of times, so those does are a lot of times going to take over the first available cover as it relates to that food source. And the bucks are going to take the, the best spot because they just, they, all they care about is surviving. So they're going to take a lot of times that the best spot, but they also don't like to deal with a whole lot of stress And those doe family groups with those fawns in there. That's a really high stress environment. So if possible, he also wants to get away from that. So if you, if you don't really have a whole lot of bedding opportunity near those food sources, that can push bucks away because they a lot of times they don't want to deal with all that stress. Now, that's not always the case. If, if there's just a 10-acre thick swamp right next to your food plot or close to it, it's big enough to hold all the deer, you, know, you, you can see that too. So bucks will bed in the same area as does, but they're just going to find their own spot within it. But it, yeah. a lot of times what you see is there's just not a lot of cover close to it. So these deer are bedding far away. And it, those does start coming to the food sources early because those fawns are leading them to those food sources. But, the, and those, but those bucks, they don't have to leave. They can sit there on the, the river bottom or whatever and, and just wait it out and, and then wait <laughs> till, till uh, last light to start moving. And so you might have had an opportunity if you were maybe sitting closer to his bed. But So we try to kind of consolidate that and fit all of that onto a property to make sure that you can have not only the food sources where these deer want to go, but you have these bedding pockets or, or bedding opportunities for doe family groups and, and, as well as older deer on the property. And depending on the property size, it's going to depend on you know how many deer can you hold, how many older deer can you hold. It's going to vary. But on most properties, 40-acre property, you can fit a couple older deer on that property. Yeah. So I've got, this is for my own personal reasons. We have uh, a small lake. Uh, It's very small, but it's, I mean, it's got a name, so it's, it's big enough. And we have this, this food plot, small food plot, maybe, I don't know, acre and not, no, it's not even an acre. God, excuse me. And it it sits the the edge from like where the water's edge is to where the food plot starts. It kind of ranges based on just the topography of the land, but probably you're looking at forty to fifty yards. And between those edges, I mean, it's it's thick. There's cattails. You know, there's good pine growth in there. So there's a lot of opportunity for cover in there. And what was it four years ago? Um, I shot a nice deer out of there where. Yeah, it was kind of one of those perfect mornings, November 7th, on November, like that night leading into the morning on the 7th, they got about four or five inches of snow. It was in the teens, perfect time of year. So we, we felt like it would be a good day to be out there, right? Just the time of year, weather conditions, all those good things, right? It was kind of one of those mornings you dream of, and it was dead quiet, not an ounce of wind. So I'm sitting in this stand kind of 
in this in the southern corner of this and i know that that deer bed along you know to my left uh, essentially and the wind's kind of blowing me blowing in my face the wind's out of the north blowing to the south but everything is pretty much on my western side so i feel okay with the wind and i mean i watch deer get up out of that thick stuff you know right along almost the water's edge where it's super hard like you could hardly even walk back there um you know, as a, as a person. And I mean, you see deer getting up, they've got snow on their back. So they've been in there, right? They've been hunkered down for the night. Fast forward four years to this year. And I sat that same stand around the same time of year. The wind was right. I know that doe bed in that area. I certainly know that I've seen mature bucks bed in that area. Although as time has gone on, I'm seeing less mature bucks in that area and a lot more younger bucks kind of almost like pushed all the bigger bucks out or the more mature bucks out. Is that just based on, you know, those young bucks just don't care. They know there's does there, especially that time of year. They know it's an area where they can go. They can chase, you know, bucks or they can chase does around. They can raise hell. Not a big deal. They don't care. They're young and dumb and, you know, it doesn't make a difference to them. And that those older bucks just, they feel that pressure. They they realize that there's a lot of stress on that area, so they just move out completely. Do you see something like that happen regularly? I mean, even if it's on your property? So when it comes to, like, I guess the breeding, you're talking about November, you know, the breeding season. I mean, I don't notice that the older bucks are going to let a younger buck push him around or, or, like, push him out of an area when there's breeding opportunity. You know, he might not want to bed in those areas with the doe family groups. He's going to take those does and he's going to, take her off to his own spot and lay her down but the i don't like those younger bucks they, they don't know any better and, and so they you, that's the, those are the ones that you see a lot of times run around a lot more during the pre-rut yeah. and during the rut yep. careless they're not using the cover they're not they're not you know working through the security on their property they're kind of just walking right out in the middle of the op- wide open uh one thing that i would oh, excuse me here no um, you're good one thing that i would uh, i guess ask is has the cover in the surrounding area changed at all? So like, has it gotten any more wide open? Cause I mean, that changes over time as trees mature, they start to shade out the understory and maybe older deer don't feel as comfortable moving through that particular corridor as much as they used to, you know, cause things maybe have opened up. I've seen that on our own property before where there's an area where, you know, this used to be a thicker area. We'd see a lot of bucks, and you can see the old grub sign on the trees, but now it's it's gotten to a point where we can just see a little bit too far. We've kind of neglected the improvement in that area. And the older bucks, they've shifted their pattern away from this particular corridor and maybe off to a, another one that, that's a little bit thicker. So they're still moving through the area and they're still chasing does, finding does and taking them and uh, breeding these does, but they might be using a different path because these older bucks, they really need security all the time. So, I mean, if that area is the same as it's been the, the past couple years, you know, and there nothing has changed, maybe it's a, a one of these scenarios where you have too many does, and these older bucks are not having to come into this area to breed. They're they're maybe in a different area of the property, and they're finding bedding or, or breeding opportunities there, so they're not having to come this way. You know, again, there's there's there could be a, a couple different scenarios there on, on why they're not coming in. Uh, again, maybe it's one of those scenarios where on any given year, there's are you are you seeing them on your property in other places? They're just not coming here, 
um you know those are the kind of yeah yeah more or less like i i mean we we've got you know certain areas and we're surrounded by we've got a lot of ag around us a lot Mm -hmm. of you know water around us as well so there's certain parts of our property where you can only access like you know on one side and that's like an ag field for example so a lot of times like deer will you know they'll bed on our property or they you know they'll even stay on our property because we have food sources we have good bedding we have water you know i think sometimes as the season goes on like they'll just they're their kind of home zone will shift from maybe one part of the property to the other. And maybe that's because of hunting pressure. Maybe that's, you know, just because, you know, there's more deer in that area. So they, you know, want to go somewhere where there's, you know, they feel a bit safer or, or, you know, there's just not as many does. So they don't have to, you know, compete, I guess, with, with other deer coming in or anything like that. Um, but that, that's a really good point. And I think I should probably take kind of a, a closer look at, the habitat and how that has changed because the the activity uh is still there but it's just it's a different age class of of deer it's a lot you know i would always see does in that area because one there was food and and there was good bedding very close to so you know they're it, it's easy for them to come to and to and to and from but um yeah i think maybe yeah that something has changed in there or they you know, are just maybe accessing it from, from a different, a different area, right? Maybe their, their bedding shifted a hundred yards and they're just not coming out in that area where, where I'm, you know, where I've, I've sat traditionally. Yeah. It, it, that, that scenario to me, seems like it's an, when you killed your deer, it doesn't seem like it's a, a buck area, like a buck core area, buck bedding area. That seems mm-hmm. more like a doe family area. And, and he's coming into either, uh, check for does or maybe he's on a doe and you know i'm not saying that's how you kill them but maybe that was part of the scenario he's coming in there to check for does or maybe he he's on a hot doe and and you were able to get a shot but it depending on on how some of that stuff has changed over time you know we all, we, we tend to see these older deer and younger deer cruising through these doe family areas so if, if you yep. It, these bucks know where those does are. You know, they're they're doing their homework just like you are. Except they're doing it all the time. You know? So these, these bucks are they know where these does are, and, and if they can find a place to breed these does or find does that maybe has less human activity or human intrusion, you know, they're, they're probably going to do that. And, and then those younger bucks, they're going to kind of run all over the place, and so you know you might see those guys a lot more often. But if those old bucks can stay in cover and not have to come out and breed does, then then that's probably where they're going to hang out. So it might be a scenario where you say, okay, we got too many does. We got to start harvesting some does to increase that competition a little bit, to get those older bucks to move a little bit more, to, to start checking more of these bedding areas. Now, you still want to yeah. have does. You, you don't want to go crazy and shoot all your does and then not have does because then the bucks are going to leave because then they're going to yeah. realize you don't have any does. <laughs> so. <laughs> And I think that's one of the things that maybe newer hunters tend to fall into the trap of, of not wanting to shoot a doe um, because they feel like it's it's going to disrupt the property. It's going to it's going to mess things up, especially we we've tried to take the approach of, of taking does earlier in the year. Right. And I mean, you know, if you take two or three does, you know, out of the herd, you know, the first couple of weeks of October, like that's not going to likely have a very big impact throughout the course of the year, especially if you have a really high number of does, right? Two or three less is, 
it, it's you know it's a numbers game but you do that consistently for three or four years and you start to see yeah that that home range those 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 mature bucks having to work a little bit harder to find you know uh, a doe that they want to breed and i think that's when you know having that that buck to doe ratio is is a big thing and it's one that i've certainly learned and just kind of educated myself on a lot more over the past, you know, seven, eight years. And a lot of that comes from like QDMA and, and, you know, their model and everything like that. And I think that that's one that people certainly shouldn't overlook. Right. And it's, it's depending on your property size too. It's not just something that a single landowner can accomplish themselves. That's where having communication with your neighbors, having a relationship with the other landowners around your property is, is a, a huge deal because you know, you might have a certain group of deer on your property, but you know, these does are, are more home bodies, but these bucks, they, they move around a lot. So yeah. you, you got to work with your landowners to figure out kind of how many deer do you have in the area and, and work together to try to get your doe numbers or, you know, at, at a, um, a more manageable level, you know, one, just not just for the bucks to have to make them work more, but just to improve your habitat too. You don't want to have too many deer in the area to where they're kind of wiping out your food plots before the end of the season's over or, or, you know, just decimating the woody browse on your property. So these deer don't have a lot to eat throughout the, the harsher winters, depending on where you're at. And that's going to yeah. help your bucks too. So when, when they come into spring, you know, they don't have to recover as much from that harsh winter because they had enough food to, to get through. So it, it, not all properties need to harvest does. It, it, that's where you have to kind of work with your neighbors and figure out, you know, how many deer do we have in the area? Most properties need to harvest some. There are some properties that need to harvest a lot. And there are some properties that don't need to harvest any. So it really just kind of depends on, on your area, your deer density compared to the carrying capacity. Yeah. Jake, before I let you get out of here, man, as we you know roll into 2023, what, yeah. um, I mean, do you have uh, a list of habitat improvements on your own property? You know, what are you, what are you kind of looking forward to through the spring? And then, you know, you know, certainly once we get into deer scene, you got any like out of state hunts planned or anything like that, that you're looking forward to this year? So I, I try to stick to Michigan. I, I really try to stick to Michigan. There's, there's three properties that we uh, have access to. I mean, we're on 57 acres here, uh, in Montcalm County. And so when we just purchased this property last year, so to answer your question on, on habitat improvements, we have so many that we need to get done. This is kind of a, a blank slate when we got here. It's it's very unique how this property lays out. I, I was talking about access right right in the beginning of the, the uh, podcast here. And don't access down the middle of the property. Well, my driveway runs right down the middle of this property. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. All the things that I tell everyone not to do. You know, this property's built the absolute wrong way. So there's a lot of things we got to do to try to address that, to to either, you know, steer deer around these human areas to, to make sure that the activity is still predictable during daylight and and that these older deer will, will move through the area. So we're, we're going to be cutting down a lot of trees. We're in one of those areas where it's a lot of cover around our property. So we got to cut a lot of trees just to, one, provide bedding opportunities that weren't there. But also we need to provide a lot of food. And so I'm, I'm doing all that work myself, cutting down the trees, hauling the logs out of there, and then we're going to be, you know, getting the leaves out of there, starting to work on the soil, and then plant food plots. And then yeah, bedding areas, same way, kind of cut the trees down, section them up a little bit, make sure that there's openings in there, pathways for these deer to, 
to get in and out and then let the sun kind of do the rest with uh, hitting the ground and just starting that early successional growth. But yeah, yeah there's, there's, a, there's a lot to do, but I have to tell myself the same things I tell others. Is it's a process. Be patient. Have have a, a, a list of what you want to accomplish this year. Make sure that it's a, you know, it's it's achievable goal and, and just kind of have that have that list for this year and then make sure you set some things aside for next year and the following year and, and just enjoy the process because it's, it's not going to happen overnight but every year just make it better than what it was the year before and, and you're going to see the results yeah right on all right jake where can people um you know who maybe want to uh you know have you come out and walk their property just want to kind of follow along with what you have going on where can people uh find you at sure so my uh you can find us at the Whitetail Partners website. So depending on where you're at, where you're listening from, I would I would suggest going to just Whitetail Partners, uh, the, the, the website there. If you want to find me personally on the uh, social media, uh, I think Whitetail Partners Michigan on Instagram and Facebook. I also uh, run the Whitetail Evolution YouTube channel. That's uh, where we try to showcase a lot of the different improvements that we're working on on my personal property, kind of show you the a lot of times the before and after I'm a very visual learner. So I, I try to like make the, make the content, uh, for, for people that, that like to see what the improvements look like, to, like a step-by-step process. So yeah, if you want more vi- video stuff, yeah, whitetail evolution, uh, LLC for the YouTube. Also whitetail partners has a YouTube, um, yeah, Instagram, whitetail partners, Michigan, same with Facebook, but yeah. Awesome. Well, Jake Hendrickson, I appreciate the time, man. It was great talking to you. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on maybe closer to deer season and we can kind of talk about some of the improvements and what you're uh, looking forward to for the year. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Take it easy.